a series right now called um, The Church Just Wants Your Money. And we're talking about how a lot of people have the perception that the whole reason the church exists is to try to bring people in and you know, kind of do that, that bait and switch and get them in and then get them to start giving their money so the pastors can get rich and fly private jets and things like that. And we're, we're talking about how that's not the case. At least with our church, at least with this church, I can promise you that is not the case. We are not trying to buy a jet. We're not trying to build great big buildings. We don't have you know, some big stars and glitter and glam and our eyes. I'm not gonna be getting bigger hair. We're not gonna have thrones up on the stage. Um, things like that aren't gonna happen here. Uh, but, but the Bible does talk about money a lot. In fact, it talks about money. Money is probably the most talked about uh, topic maybe outside of the whole redemption story in the Bible. And so it's important and we want to talk about why it's important. But uh, the church doesn't just want your money. And in fact, I talked about in the first week, if there was one thing that I could wish the most, it would not be for you to give us money, but that you put Jesus in first place, in the first place in your life, first priority, top priority of your life. We have a verse that we're using. It's a chunk of scripture to guide this. And then uh, I have a lot of scripture for you this morning. You should have gotten a handout. I'm going to kind of go over those points a little bit later in the sermon this morning. And I wanted you to take those home because I'm throwing a lot at you. I want you to be able to go home, read those, look them up, read them in context, read the whole chapters that surround those. Make sure that what I'm saying is the right thing to say that it's the truth, check it. This isn't just my words, these are God's words. I want you to go and check that out yourself. So make sure you take one of those home and read those. But our, our key passage for the series, Matthew chapter six, verse 24 through 34. No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See the flowers of the field, how they grow? They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need him. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has enough worries. Tomorrow will worry all about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Father, I pray that in this morning you would speak, your words would be loud and clear that I would fade to the background and that you would say what you want to say to each and every one of us. Open our hearts and our minds to hear from you and give us the strength and the ability to put those into practice when we leave this building in just a few minutes. In Jesus' name, amen. I've got a clip I want to show you. This is a clip that I showed right at the very beginning of my time here. Um, and I, We weren't talking about money at the time, but we were talking kind of about 
about putting Jesus at the center of everything. So I wanted to, I wanted to go back. For one, it's, it's The Legend of Bagger Vance. It's a, good, it's a good movie. If you haven't seen that movie, it's a good. I'm not a big golfer, and I still like the movie. So, um, but I just wanted to watch this clip and kind of set up our talk and our time this morning. But you didn't know that's why you're supposed to keep quiet when you're at a golf course is because, you know, the golfers are in the field. You know, if you clap and, you know, you distract them. I'm kidding. I don't think that's why you're supposed to be quiet. Now, uh, don't, uh, don't try to extrapolate theology from movies made in Hollywood. We've talked about that before. So... All the stuff you said about, you know, being one with the earth, everything, it's all one, you know, that, that's bad theology. Ignore that part. But um, there, there's a good lesson there, there's a good point, and, and it's a point that we're going to kind of focus on this morning quite literally. What so often happens is that there's so much this world throws at us that we can't possibly focus on the one most important thing that there's so much coming our direction, there's so much coming our way that, that when it comes time to focus on that, that flag down at the end of the field, that one thing that's out there that we're supposed to be focusing on the most, that there are so many things yelling at us and coming in our direction that we can't possibly focus. The goal is out there. We, we know it's supposed to be out there, but, but things kind of keep stepping in front of us and distracting us. There's a flag at the end, but we can't see it because of all the distractions. The first week we talked about our priorities. When our priorities get out of order, our money or anything is more important to us than God, then it can seem like a long road to get back on track. And it seems like you've lost the ability, you've lost your swing, you've lost your mojo, you've lost whatever you think it is that you've lost, and our priorities get out of whack, and then we find ourselves taking a while to get back on track. It's like there's a thousand steps that we need to take. There's a thousand steps between here and being focused again. A thousand steps between here and going in the right direction. And then we're only on step six. We're only on step seven and we're never going to get there. So we try to skip down the line to the harder steps thinking if we just cut a few corners we're going to get there. And then we end up cutting ourselves short. The amazing thing is, is that we have everything we need right in front of us to be able to put our focus completely on God because we have help. We have a special helper that helps us do this. We, see, we, we get confused, I think. We think we need a special revelation from God, and so we go through our spiritual lives, and we walk, and we pray, and we're going to come to God, and we're going to pray, and we're going to come to God, and we're going to pray, and we're going to come to God, and we're going to pray, and we're going to come to God. Why aren't you speaking to me, God? Why aren't you talking to me? Why don't I hear your voice? And all the time, all the things that we needed were right there in front of us because we have this amazing thing called God's word, and he's revealed everything we need to live this life that he's given us to live. But, but we don't want to pay attention to that. You know, that's work. It takes effort. I don't, I don't want to have to do the work. Jesus should just tell me exactly how to do it without ever having to pick up the Bible and read. Or maybe we know the right things to do. We know what, what we're supposed to be doing, but we've got a head full of knowledge and our ability to put that knowledge into practice has fallen short. See, it's possible to know a lot about Jesus, but not actually know Jesus. 
And our goal here at 6-8 Church is not to just fill your heads with information about God, to fill your heads with information about who Jesus is, but, but our goal is life transformation. We talked a long time ago about how information plus application is what leads to transformation. Our goal is not to just fill you with information, but to apply that information to our lives so that our lives become transformed and we walk out of this place different every single week, closer and closer, more and more focused on God. And when we put our focus on Jesus' grace, everything else falls into place. I don't know if you've been around church for long, but I, uh, I grew up in church, and this week we were talking about some of the hymns that we used to sing at church. We kind of had some of our favorites, and uh, we're actually gonna sing one of my favorites here in a little bit. But some of the songs that we sang, and uh, this, this, these are not my ideas, so you, know, you can go look these up and probably find another pastor that tells the story better, but one of the songs we used to sing, we had a fellowship time, you know, just like we had earlier in the service, the greeting time. And every morning, on every Sunday morning, when we had this greeting time, we would sing this song. It was a Bill Gaither song. I don't know if anyone else knows it, but uh, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Anyone know that? I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. We'd just kind of, we'd all get up and we'd all walk around and shake hands and hug everyone. Um, but the truth is, I think a lot of us were, were singing probably a different song in our head. Either, I'm surprised you're a part of the family of God. Or, I just wish I could be in a different family of God. <laughs> you all look kind of funny. <laughs> I'll stop. <laughs> I'm not talking about you. But then there was a song, it's a great song. You know, a lot of times we sang it for an altar call, I Surrender All. And it's a song we're actually going to bring back here at, at uh, 6 a. We're going to start singing that in the near, near future. I surrender all. I surrender all. It's a great song. All to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. And I was talking about how we had to talk with someone this week, how we had these altar calls growing up. And normally we would sing uh, Just As I Am every single Sunday. And Just As I Am would kind of be the song for the altar call. The pastor would get up and he would pound the pulpit and he would preach and he would sweat and he would spit and he had to stay out of the first two rows. And, and he would go at it and he would go at it and he would go at it and then he would just do this altar call and almost every Sunday we sang Just As I Am and my parents were, were the ones who did the music and so we'd turn, we all knew it was Paige, I think it was, no, 212 was Amazing Grace, I think it was like 240 uh, in our hymnal. We all knew the page to go to because we'd sung it so many times and, and we'd get up and sing Just As I Am Without One Plea Da, 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 a shed for thee, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. And there was like 75 verses of it. 
And we would sing all 75 verses until somebody came. And finally, it's like lunchtime. It's like 1245, and everybody wants to get out. And so as you start elbowing each other, you're just like, go ahead, go ahead. You get up, it's like, come on, man, take one for the team so we can get out of here and go to lunch. And so finally, somebody would go up, make up some kind of sin that they didn't, like maybe not even a real kind of, they just get up there and go pray. Everyone get out and go to Kentucky Fried Chicken and get on with the day. But we would sing these songs, and a lot of times, just like today, I think the same thing is true today. When it comes to our times of worship, we we sing these songs, but how often do we actually stop and think about the words that we're singing? And sometimes I think if we stopped and focused on the words that we're singing, we'd, we'd get a little bit more, maybe even concerned, because our lives aren't matching up with the words. We have no intention of actually trying to lead lives that apply these words, we just like coming in and feeling good for a little while and singing it. It's just like we sang this morning a song, Oceans. You call me out upon the waters, the great unknown where feet may fail, and there I find you in the mystery in oceans deep. My faith will stand. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander, and my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. And we sing the song, and, and a lot of times we'll repeat these really important parts that we want, want to be a part of who we are as a church, but then do we ever think, Spirit, do we really want Spirit lead me where my faith is? Well, well maybe Spirit, you could just kind of lead me this way. Spirit, lead me where I know that I can make it. I don't want to go out where I need faith. Wherever you would call me. I think the same is true for the song, I Surrender All. Have you ever sung that song and actually meant it? I surrender some. I surrender some. Some to thee as long as you don't ask too much, I surrender some. We hear that word surrender, and Jesus calls us to, to, to surrender, to, to lay down our lives, to, to make our lives a living sacrifice, to come and put this life that we cling to, this life that we hold so tightly to, something that we're just going to sacrifice at the foot of the cross because the life that God has to offer us is so much better. But, but so many things, these distractions get in front of us, and the things that's supposed to take all of our focus, all of our attention that we're supposed to be looking toward and forward to becomes blocked by the things of this world because there's something we're not really willing to surrender. There's something we're not really willing to give up. Surrender is not when we give something to God, it's when we give everything. I think that's hard, so we don't do it. It's possible to know a lot about Jesus but not actually know Jesus. It's a lot easy to, to know some things and some statistics and some trivia, but do you actually know the person of Christ? Have you committed your life to following him? See, when it comes to money, Jesus doesn't just want us to kind of chip in a little bit as we feel like it. Jesus wants a lifetime commitment of surrender. 
And the reason God, Jesus said when he was here on this earth, you cannot serve both God and money is because money is the one thing that's going to vie for our hearts and our attention and our affection more than anything else on this planet. It's not the evil that we're surrounded by, it's our own greed and our own desires, our own selfishness that's going to be the greatest competition for what God has to offer us in this life. And if we can learn that, if we can, if we can really apply that truth to our lives, we can pour out our lives in true, complete surrender, I think we will see God do greater things than we could possibly ever ask or imagine. Surrender. The reason I talk about surrender when we're talking about money is because I know what happens when we talk about money. When, when any pastor gets up and talks about money, we all kind of close up. We like, well, I'm not going to listen to this. He's just going to ask for more of it. I want to tell you what the Bible says we should do with our money. Last week, we talked about what we shouldn't do with our money according to the Bible, and there's a handout in the back. I would encourage you to pick that up on your way out if you weren't here, and you can go listen to the talk on our website. Last week we talked about those things we shouldn't do with our money. This is the week we're talking about what we should do, and next week you're gonna wanna be here to hear the close to this series. So I'm gonna say, not gonna be all braggadocious or anything, I just think you're gonna wanna be here next week. But here are, last week we said nine things you don't do with your money, here are nine things the Bible says we should do with our money. I'm gonna plow through these really fast because I just wanna, I wanna cover the ground and make sure you hear it, and then uh, we'll wrap up in just a minute. The first thing is that we're supposed to do with our money is save it. Proverbs chapter six. This isn't specifically talking about money. It's an illustration, a metaphor that we're supposed to extrapolate from. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? I just like to read this passage because I like to say sluggard. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man. Listen to that verse. The ant has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. When God gives us resources, we are not supposed to just go and blow it all at once. We need to look at it and make sure we're setting it aside so that we can actually live through the winters of life. There will be seasons that come. There will be times that come in life where it's hard to make it. And if we have not been like the ant and stored up for that season, we're going to have a really tough time in that season. So save it. Save some money. Number two, work hard for it. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10 through 14. We're supposed to save our money, we're supposed to work hard for it. This is Paul speaking. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They're not busy, they are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. As for you, brothers and sisters, Never tire of doing what is good. Work hard for it. We're supposed to work hard for our money. It's not 
It's not for those who are wealthy. There's, there's no real legitimate Robin Hood argument that can be made through Scripture. We all have a responsibility to work for the food that we eat. Now, there are some who can't provide for themselves. There are some who need assistance. There are some who are going through seasons of life where they need help. And so we as a church come alongside them, and that's, that's what the body of Christ is supposed to look like. But if we're able, we work. Number three, be good stewards of it. What are we supposed to do with our money? We're supposed to save it. We're supposed to work hard for it. We're supposed to be good stewards of it. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 23 through 26. Be sure to know, be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds, for riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. When the hay is removed, a new growth appears, and the grass from the hills is gathered in, the lambs will provide you with clothing and the goats with the price of a field. Be good stewards of it. Know the condition of your flocks. We're supposed to know what's in our bank account. We're supposed to know how we are doing financially. You know, it's not supposed to be, oh, we kind of close our eyes and log on and hope that everything's okay. We need to know, have we spent too much money? Have we saved enough money? We need to be good stewards of it. We may need a budget. We may need to figure out how to spend our money wisely. We're supposed to be good stewards. There's a lot more in the Bible about that. Number four, we're supposed to provide for our families with it. So save it, work hard for it, be good stewards of it, provide for our families with it. First Timothy chapter five, anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. I did not write that scripture. That's actually in Bible. Don't get mad at me. Get mad at Paul. That's what it says we're supposed to provide for our families. Number five, be grateful for it. This is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus especially 517, because you can memorize that right now. It's one of the two-word verses in the Bible, so you can say you memorized a verse at church today. Our pastor is awesome. He taught us to memorize a verse. Pray continually. See, when I learned it, though, it was three words, because we learned it in the King James Version, and it was pray without ceasing. So if you want to feel really smart and high and righteous, you can pull out the King James Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. When God gives to us, we should be grateful. We should be thankful. We should understand that everything God has given to us is a blessing. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that next week. Number six, trust God for it. This is where I think we're going to get a little scared maybe. We like to make sure we're providing for ourselves and that we're in a spot where we don't really need God's help. Philippians chapter four, verse 14. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. 
Here's Paul. He's going out on a missionary journey. And, and the only church, the only church that supported him on this journey was the church at Philippi. The Philippians supported Paul. They gave him a gift to provide for his trip. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I've received full payment and have more than enough. So Paul's saying, I'm not wanting your money. I've received full payment. I've received God's grace. I've received God's mercy. I have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Excuse me. <coughs> that verse 19 is one that you've probably seen come through your Facebook feed. My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. We post it and we share it where God's going to meet my needs. And we scroll down a little bit further and we see something about the economy and we start fretting about our 401ks and worrying if we're going to have a job this week and it doesn't really last for long. When it comes to trusting God for what he said he will provide, God will meet all of your needs. This is in our passage that we've been sharing throughout this, throughout this series. God cares for the sparrows, he provides for them. God cares for the lilies of the field, he provides for them. God knows when they fall from the sky. And as we shared last week, we're worth more than many sparrows. We don't need to worry about the things that we spend so much of our lives worrying about. God will meet our needs according to his riches. Trust God for it. Number seven, here's one you may not expect. One of the things we're supposed to do with the good things, the the blessings that God gives us is we are supposed to enjoy it. 1 Timothy 6, chapter chapter 6, verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. And this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God gives you things to enjoy. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 19, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift from God. Enjoy what God gives you. Now to the two that we're going to uh, talk about for a little bit that everyone has been loathing and just 
hoping that I don't ever address. Number eight, give the first tenth of your income to the church. The temptation for me, I'm going to be honest with you, is to never talk about tithing. The temptation for me is to never talk about money because it makes me feel slimy, like I'm asking you to give me a gift. And then as I was listening to other Christian leaders talk about how they lead their churches and they talk about why they talk about money and they talked about how it's the thing that grabs our heart more than anything that draws us away from God, then I decided I would not be a very good pastor if we had this one thing, there's just this huge elephant in the room that's pulling us all away from what God has called us toward. There's this huge thing and we never talk about it because it's a little awkward and a little uncomfortable. So if I'm going to be a good leader, if I'm going to be a good pastor, a good leader of this church, we have to talk about money. And if we're talking about money, we have to talk about tithing. Tithing means a tenth. When we talk about tithing, it means giving the first tenth of your income to the church. Proverbs chapter three, verse nine and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Malachi chapter three, verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I know the thinking because as I've shared with you, there was a long period of my life where we as a family did not tithe. I had a good excuse, I thought, because I worked for a church. The church was paying me to work 40 hours, but often required 50 or 55 hours of my time. And so I decided, you know what? I don't need to tithe because I'm giving like 20% when it comes to the extra time that I'm spending working. And as I read through scripture and as I read through what the Bible talks about money, I could not find any exceptions for not tithing. I couldn't find exceptions for I'm not supposed to give of my income. I'm not supposed to be generous. I couldn't find anything that says, you know what, you, you can, if, if you're giving me a little extra time, then, then go ahead and you know, just kind of keep a little money for yourself and have some fun with it. And so since we've been here at 6A Church, we've been tithing, we tithe. Sometimes we give a little bit more if we can. We're supposed to bring our first 10% in because God gives us the 100. One of the things I like to say when we're talking about tithing is I just like to ask a couple of questions. Did you choose to be born to your parents in a country where you have provision? Did you choose to be born where you could have all of the blessings or did God choose to put you here? And if God chose to put us here, then it is 
he who is responsible for the life and the blessings that we receive. See, the, the temptation is to say, I work for the money, I spend my time going to work and I spend my hours going to work and so it's my money, I'm gonna decide what to do with it. God, don't you dare ask for any of it, I'll give if I feel like it, when the truth is God chose for us to be in the spot where we could receive this money. And if you picture it like a box of 10 Krispy Kremes, and I was gonna buy some, and then I just decided I couldn't get to church without eating them, so <laughs> I didn't. But um, a box with 10 Krispy Kremes, and I was gonna give this box of 10 Krispy Kremes to Tim. And here I've given you this wonderful gift of 10 soft, warm, melt-in-your-mouth Krispy Kremes. That's a pretty good gift, right? And then I just say, you know what? For giving it, would you, would you give me one back? Does that feel like I'm asking for a lot or have I given Tim a great gift? Given Tim a great gift, right? I, I, he's still got nine Krispy Kremes. We, a lot of times when we think about why does God ask so much for us, maybe the question we should be asking is why does God allow us to keep so much? Why isn't it 30%? If you read through the Old Testament, there are times when it was 30%, when they would have to save 10%, bring it in, and they had another 10% that they would save for festivals and another 10% that they would use for helping the poor and things like that. There were times when you were, when, when, uh, you were going through this God-centered life in Israel where you had to give a big chunk of your income. Maybe we should be thankful that God allows us to keep so much instead of questioning God for taking so much. Give the first tenth to your church. And I just wanna say, I'm, I'm not dogging on anyone. I don't know your giving, I don't know that. I mean, sometimes I know who gives and who doesn't. I never know the amounts, I never know your incomes or anything like that. But I've heard this, I've heard this a lot of times. Um, well, I, I, don't, I don't give to my church. I, you know, I send my money to, and then they'll kind of name a ministry. I'll, I send my money to Young Life, or I send my tithe to whatever parachurch organization it is. And I'm not dogging on giving to those organizations. In fact, I think we should be generous and give as much as we possibly can. But the first tenth, Malachi chapter 3.10 says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Now there's a whole history behind how the Old Testament temple and everything ran that we don't have time to get into this morning that explains why the tithe came into the storehouse that there could be food in the house of God. But listen, God says, test me in this. Test me. This is one of the only times God says to test me. Oftentimes we're told not to test God, but here when it comes to money, God says, test me in tithing. Test me in giving this 10% and see what happens. Bring the first tenth, the first tenth into the storehouse and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there, not, there will not be room enough to store it. And this is consistent with other passages we've, we've already read throughout this morning, how, how God will bless you that God will 
bring riches and treasures in the coming age and even in the age to come. Lay up for yourselves a foundation for the coming age that you would be amply supplied, that you would be crediting more to your account. If you're not sure about it, test it. Try it. See what God does. Number nine, be generous. Matthew 5.42. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Luke chapter six, verse 37. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured out into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I think as followers of Jesus Christ, we ought to be some of the most generous people on the planet. We ought to be some of the people who, who are known for our generosity, for our giving. Not that we do it to get attention, but, but that we do it. And I, I love it when I hear about people who have done it in secret because that's what Jesus talks about. You don't, when you're doing a good deed, when you're doing something, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Don't brag about it, don't try to take credit for it. Just, just be generous, just when God brings a need in front of you and you can meet it, give to help the need. When you have a resource that you can give to someone who needs it, give the resource to help. Do whatever we can that, that these people who are witnessing us be this kind of person, this kind of lifestyle, they would see, as we talked about at the end of the last series, they would see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. This is the whole point of everything that we're talking about. It's not so that we can get you to give money to the church. It's not so that we can just you know, squeeze another fraction of a percentage out of you. It's that, that we want to see people come to Christ. We want to see people's lives eternally changed. And if we are clinging, if money is the one thing that we're clinging tightly to and keeps us from following God, then we ought to really address money, not just within the church, but maybe we can help people outside the church. And when they start to apply the principles that God gives us about money and they start to see success in their finances, maybe, just maybe, they will start to see that what God says is truth and he can be trusted. Money does a lot of wonderful things. But are you controlling it, or is it controlling you? We'll say, I want to handle my money wisely, but. I would really like to be smart with my money, but. I would really like to get ahead in my finances, but. And we always have this but, and as long as there's a but, you're going to be in a rut. I did make that up. I want to save more, but I really like Taco Bell. I want to work hard for my money, but I really like my Xbox. I want to be a good steward. I want to budget, but it's just too depressing because I realize how much money I don't have, so I don't do it. I want to provide for my family, but I just really like my bed. I want to be grateful, but I don't have enough to give thanks for, so why should I be thankful? 
I want to trust God for my finances, but well, I'm worried he's going to let me down. I want to enjoy my money, but I'm worried I'll have too much fun and I'll spend it all. Shouldn't have gone to Vegas. I want to give a tenth to the church, but then I couldn't have Dutch Brothers every day. I want to be generous, but I just don't have enough money. As long as there's a but, we are always going to find ourselves just a step short. It's like there's that flag down there at the end of the field, but. I know I'm supposed to be swinging this way, but it's kind of nice looking over there. I, I, know I'm supposed to, I know I am supposed to be going this direction, but yeah, something just ran out in front of me. There's always a reason for why we cannot focus on the most important thing, and it's not until we choose and decide in this very moment, I am going to focus on Christ, put him at the number one seat. He is going to be the top priority in my life, and everything else will become secondary. Until we just choose and make that decision, we're going to follow Christ no matter what. Everything will get in the way. There will always be a but. There will always be something that keeps us from going all the way with God, and until we lay that down and sacrifice it and put it at the foot of the cross, we're not ever going to experience the fullness of God's grace. When we get our focus on Jesus' grace, everything else falls into place. We know what the Bible says we know what the Bible has given us. You know, a lot of time, a lot of you probably heard all of these things many times over. You've heard us talk. You've heard other pastors. You've heard other churches. You've gone through financial peace. You've gone through good sense. You've gone through whatever these other seminars are that talk about how, how we're supposed to handle our money according to what God says. We, we all kind of know this, or at least we probably know the basic principles. The problem is we never really do it. I've talked about how in our own life, in our own story, we didn't tithe, and we also used credit cards, and now we're paying, as Dave Ramsey says, our stupid tax because we put too much money on a credit card, and we've been paying those off for years, and we've made a lot of progress, but it took a choice. I took a choice to say, we're going to live within our means, we're going to spend only the money we have and not exceed our lifestyle. But when Christ is not on the throne, when Christ is not the focal point, when Christ is not the most important thing, then all these other things become really enticing. We start to put ourselves on that throne. We start to think, well, I deserve this, and we feel entitled to all of these things. We feel entitled to a lifestyle that we have not worked to earn. And our country is great at making us feel like we deserve it even though we haven't worked for it. Are we actually going to do what the Bible says when it comes to money or are we just gonna walk out of here and be struggling for the rest of our lives? Are we gonna be the people who surrender? Are we gonna be people who, who actually surrender at all? I'm gonna surrender all. 
I'm not gonna hold back these parts for myself. I'm not gonna cling to what I can. And I'm not just talking about money, I'm talking about life. Are we going to hold on to something that's more important to us than Jesus? Or are we gonna surrender everything? Since I've been at this church, I've been praying this prayer for us for the last two and a half years. It comes from Ephesians chapter three, verse 16 through 20. Paul is praying this for the church at Ephesus. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. It begins with Christ. And I'm praying that you, being rooted and established in love, in this love of Christ, this foundation that you have in Jesus Christ, I pray that you, 6-8, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Since I've been here and even today, I believe God has something he wants to do specifically through this group, through this body, through 6A Church. He has something in mind and he has had it in mind since before time began that he put us here in this community on this earth for. And it's something that only he will be able to take the credit for. And in many ways we have seen God move in ways that only he can take credit for. We've seen him do things that are only able to be attributed to God, but I wonder, I, I wonder this all the time, and I pray all the time for us as a church, I spend so much time on this topic for us as a church, what is it gonna take for us to completely surrender our lives to the call of the kingdom? What is it gonna take? Does, is it gonna take some kind of catastrophe? Is it gonna take some kind of disaster? Is it gonna take something in our personal lives that, that threatens to pull us away from the kingdom of God to really get us to see we need to be living lives of complete surrender? It's not enough to, to put the big toe in the, in the water. We need to jump in head first into the deep end. What's it gonna take? What is that thing that's keeping us from complete surrender? What's the thing that's, that's holding us back? What's the thing that we just can't give up? What's the thing that we just have to have, we have to cling to, we have to hold to, that's keeping us from complete surrender? And are we holding tightly to the things of this earth, or are we holding tightly to Jesus? I just have this belief, I have this faith, I have this dream that God has given me that if we really put Jesus as the focal point of our lives and that as we, as we stopped focusing on the things of this earth and the things that this world has to offer, I'm not saying to neglect our families, I'm not saying to stop going to work, I'm not saying that we should pull out of society, what I'm saying is if we put Jesus as the most important thing and that we're chasing after him, that we will see even more incredible things happen here than we could ever imagine happening.
I think we could be part of a miracle. I think we could be a part of a great awakening in the Northwest. We live in the most unchurched, the most de-churched, the most secular part of the country. We live in a country that is receding in church attendance when the rest of the world is booming and people coming to Christ. We live in a time where it is, it is, it is absolutely imperative that we as the church rise up and decide today is the day, now is the time, we're going to move forward with the gospel of Christ no matter what the cost. And so many times we say that and we come together and we think that and we pray that and we believe that, but then when we walk out of this place, we say, well, (laughs) I would give more, but I just can't give up my Taco Bell. I would do more, but I just can't give up my Xbox time. I would be more like Christ, but it's just too much work. I believe in the potential that sits in this room. I believe that in this room lies everything God needs to turn the community of Hazeldell around. I believe that since I've been here, I still believe it today, that that in this room, every single one who is sitting here, everyone who isn't here, everyone who's a part of 6-8 Church, this is the potential, this is the, the body that God has put here because we have what he needs to reach. He's brought people here with specific giftings. He's brought people here with specific talents. He's brought people here with specific passions. He's brought people here from different backgrounds. And we have all come together under the banner of Jesus Christ and he's assembled a body for a purpose. The purpose of the body is not to come and enjoy some good music and to be shouted at on a Sunday morning, but the purpose is that we would be built up as the body of Christ and then go out of this building and actually function as the body of Jesus Christ. Are we gonna turn away from the world, what the world has to offer and put our focus on Jesus or are we just gonna go through another week and be the same as we were last week? Listen, I know what it's like. I am in this boat. It's a lot easier to just fall back and shrink back and just fall into old habits and patterns. But we never know what's gonna happen. We never know what's gonna happen tomorrow. Whenever it's gonna happen to us, we could have some kind of catastrophe in our personal lives on the way home today, God forbid, but are we ready? Have we put Jesus first? The prayer I pray for us most often as a church is that God would fire us up for the mission of the gospel. John Wesley said, set a man on fire and people will come for miles to watch him burn. That's the kind of people I'm praying that we will be, that we will be people who are on fire and the fire of God burning in our lives is something that draws people into the kingdom of God. And if there's anything, anything, money, possessions, people, anything that you could possibly think of that's keeping us from going there, that's keeping us from putting all of that focus on Jesus Christ I promise you it's not worth what we're missing out. And in a world that so desperately needs us to be people on mission, moving forward with the gospel of Christ and taking that gospel in some very dark and dirty and messy places, we gotta get past those things, we gotta let them go. 
and put Christ first. Let's all stand. If you would, would you bow your head and close your eyes? We have a few people who will be at the back of the room, back by the sound booth, the big black box in the back of the room to pray with you if you need someone to pray with. And I would encourage you to, to go and pray with them. Even go out in the lobby, go into Mocha 6-8, go somewhere if you need to kind of talk a little bit and, and pray through something. But I know I need prayer on a constant basis, especially when it comes to keeping Christ as the focus. I know I need prayer. I know I need help keeping Christ central. I need help keeping things in perspective and putting things away. I know Paul struggled with this. It is human to struggle with this, but there is power to overcome it. And I want to pray for us this morning. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I will ask that at the end of this song, if you need prayer, or at the end of this prayer, that if you need prayer, you go and pray with someone in the back. Jim and Russ and Shannon and others may be back there standing, waiting to pray with you. Father, in this time, I pray that you'd reveal anything to us that's in first place, that you would just Show it to me, show it to any of us gathered in this room. If there's anything sitting there, if there's anything else besides you sitting on that throne, I pray that you'd show it to us right now through the power of your spirit, reveal it to us. now, Father, I pray that you would, in our hearts and our minds, help us to see the cross, defeating whatever it is on that throne. That you'd help us to see the cross, destroying the power that that thing has on our lives, just obliterating any control that that has on us in this moment, and that the power of the cross overcomes. And Father, I pray that you would set us in motion from this point forward on a track to make you the most important thing, to make you the ruler of our hearts and of our lives, and that we would go from this place in just a few minutes with our eyes and our hearts and our minds set on you, the author and finisher, the beginning and the end of our faith. And that you would help us to put everything else in the right order you'd help us to put all the other things down on the priority list where they go, to put you first, to put others second, to put ourselves third. And if there's anything in particular that we're struggling with that we just can't seem to let go of, I pray 
that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who sent his son to walk on this earth to show the example, the God who walked on this earth and died a cruel death on the cross to pay the price for my sins, for my mistakes, the God who rose from the dead and conquered the power of death, hell, and the grave, and the God who ascended to heaven and left the power of his Holy Spirit here on this earth, that that God would give us the power to be overcomers this morning, that that God would, would empower us from on high with Holy Spirit power from a different realm and give us what we need to go and walk and live and lead the lives that you've called us to lead. And God, I pray that you would use us, that you would speak through us, that you would fill us so that others would see us burning on fire with a passion for you and for your kingdom and for your mission and for the gospel. And they would see that, they would be drawn to you and they would give glory to God, our Father in heaven for that gift the free gift that we don't have to pay for, the free gift that we don't have to earn, the free gift of God's grace that was given to us freely. Freely we have received, Father. Now let us freely give it to a world who needs it. This love of God, this undescribable, unexplainable love of God that we have been given, do not let us hoard it for one more moment. But Father, empower us to go out and live it and share it. In Jesus' name, amen.